Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together today to study your word. And I pray, Father, as we go through this, that you will open our minds with the Holy Spirit to teach us all that you want us to know. And I pray, Father, that this is not just something that we'll just walk away today saying, hey, that was a pretty good lesson, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But I just pray, Father, that it'll take root in our lives and that we'll see fruit as a result of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to be spending, I'm going to go through verse 1 all the way through uh, verse 37, but we're going to be spending most of our time on the temptation of Christ, but we are going to hit the other areas as well, but but we're going to spend most of our time here. And so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, just the first few verses it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, <clears throat> being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The de- devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So I'm going to stop right there. I think what we need to do is to get a really good understanding of what we're going to be studying today is we need to go back to chapter 3. Nathaniel did a really good job last week of going through that for us. But I want to go back to the baptism of Christ. And so if we go back into verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now there's two things that take place here that we need to make note of. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form like a dove, right? And that's that's incredibly important for us to understand as we go through this passage that we're going through today. Because we're going to see that Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we may ask the question, well, if Jesus is God, why does he need the Holy Spirit? Y'all ever thought about that? I mean, why is that? Anybody have a clue? Well, so, (laughs) my daughter. So at that point, he had entered the earth as fully man. And then at that end, the, the Holy Spirit descending upon him was uh, God giving his approval of his son, of his mission and what he was doing. And in Jesus, and it's such a weird combination, but receiving that gift and knowing his appointment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was just the, the Father's approval and... Um, to move go, to go forward in his mission. Okay, that's a very good point. Um, one other thing we might consider is how does God accomplish the work through His people here on Earth? Through the Holy Spirit. And why should Jesus be any different? He comes in the form of man, right? Even though even though He has a divine nature, He doesn't have the nature of Adam like we do, but He has a divine nature. But still. God accomplishes His purpose through the Holy Spirit. And He's doing that through Christ as well. And so we see that He is filled with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, 
We see the voice that comes down from heaven that says, this is my son, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And this is important also for us to, to, to understand whenever we get into the passage today, because we're going to go back to that. So let me ask you a question. How many of y'all like shortcuts? You like shortcuts? I do too. When we're, we live in Witt, and so when we come to Weatherford, like if we're going to the courthouse area, we take 1885, then we hit 920, and right before we get to 51, there's a red light right there. What's the secret to that red light if you turn right? Do y'all know? You go over the railroad tracks. And so you'll never get caught up by the train if you go that way. Now, it's not really a shortcut because I've seen cars in front of me, and when I make the turn, and then whenever I get over there back to 51, that car's going right in front of me. It's passing me by. So it's not really a shortcut, but it does kind of make it easier if there's a train there. And, you know, we, sometimes we like to take the easy way out. You know, I'm a home builder. And when I build a house for somebody like Jason Nicholas, I go home at night and I cry out to God and I say, God, there's got to be an easier way to make a living. I'm kidding. They were actually very easy to build for. <laughs> so, I mean, we do like shortcuts. We like to take the easy way out if it's possible. When Satan comes to Jesus, he's offering him a shortcut. And you know what's funny is I spent hours and hours and hours this week studying this lesson. And I guess God thought it would be funny to wake me up at 2 o'clock this morning and say, um... We're going a different direction because <laughs> my mind was thinking about something totally different. So I've been up since two o'clock this morning trying to prepare <laughs> a whole new lesson. So I may go by my notes. I may not. I don't know, but we'll see how it turns out. But Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut in these temptations. It's not the first time we've seen this, though. We know that Jesus is the second Adam. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 45-49. It says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we see that Jesus is the second Adam. Why do we have to have a second Adam? The first, one first guy didn't do too good, did he? So I think we need to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're not literally going to turn there. I'm just going to, I'm going to paraphrase it, okay? Satan comes in the form of a serpent to the woman, to Eve. Now, we, we like to blame it all on her, but it says clearly right there in Scripture that Adam was there with her. And so Satan comes to the woman. He said, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Is that what God said? 
She said, no, 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 we can eat from the trees in the garden. We just can't eat from the tree in the, that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We can't even touch it or else we'll die. Now, God didn't say you can't touch the tree. He just said, don't eat of it. I'm sure what that was was Adam going, don't even touch it, right? <laughs> I'm sure that's what that was. And so she said, no, we can't eat of it or we will surely die. And Satan says, you will not surely die for God knows that if you eat of it, you will, your eyes will be open. You'll be like him. You can tell the difference between good and evil. And when she saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And then the eyes of both of them are open. They re realized that they were naked and they sewed uh, fig leaves together to cover themselves. So they hid themselves from God. How in the world did Satan do that? How do you do it? Well, first thing he did is he comes up and he says, did God really say? He questions the word of God. Anytime he can put doubt in our mind about the truthfulness of the word of God, that is one of his greatest weapons. Did God really say? And not only did he, did he question the word of God, but he questioned the goodness of God. He said, did God say that you couldn't eat from any of these trees in the garden? I mean, man, why would he place you in such a paradise and tell you that you cannot eat from any of these trees? Is God really that mean and selfish? That's basically what he's telling her. Did God really say you can't eat of any of these trees? She said, oh, no, 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 no. We can eat from these, but we just can't eat from the tree in the center. If we do, we'll die. And Satan says, you will not surely die. For God knows that if you eat of it, you'll be like him. In other words, you can be independent of God. You don't have to rely on Him any longer. You can make decisions for yourself. You can decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. And then one of the most fascinating things that I have found in Scripture happened to Eve at this moment. All of a sudden, this tree that she had just declared was a source of death. All of a sudden now, it's good for food. And it's pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. How did Satan do that? He got her to get her eyes off of God and place them on herself. He says, you can be like God. You can be independent of God. You don't have to rely on Him any longer. After all, it's all about you, right? Isn't it all about us? That's what we think a lot of times. I'm sure it is. Anytime they take our eyes off of God and place them on self. Narcissism, right? But that's how he did it. And she suddenly saw sin differently. She didn't see it as a source of death. But we know the wages of sin is death. But she no longer saw it as a source of death. She saw it as something that was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. You know what 1 John says about those who love the world? There's three things. What does he say? Lust of the eyes, pride of life. Uh, oh, you're so longings. <laughs> was it? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Pride of life. Yeah, that's right. So you think about the result of what Satan did to Eve. She saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, pleasing to the eyes, lust of the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life, apart from God. 
So Satan is offering Adam and Eve something that they didn't even know they wanted until he came and tempted them with it. He said, I want to give you an easy way out. I want to give you a way that you can make decisions for yourself and you no longer have to be under God's thumb. And so that's what he did. He did. He does the same thing to us. He comes to us and he questions the word of God. Did God really say? And we can put anything there. Anything. And that's the first thing that comes to our mind when Satan tempts us. He says, did God really say? Is it true? So he questions the word of God. He questions the goodness of God. But then he goes on and just completely denies the word of God when he says, you shall not surely die. For he knows that if you eat of it, you'll be like him. And that's when they fell. I believe they fell before they even ate the fruit. Because as soon as they took their eyes off God and put it on themselves, that's the only way they could have seen that tree any differently. Is that they had already fallen. I believe eating the fruit was actually a result of the fall. So, anyway. Now we're going to get into Luke chapter 4. How many of y'all in, in class, when you're in class, you'd love to do, the, the teacher would say, I want you to read this and compare and contrast. Y'all remember that? I hated that. I mean, I hated that with a passion. And, but th there's nothing that's been more helpful to me, though, whenever I'm doing Bible studies. So, but to compare and contrast. So if we get back into chapter 4 again in verse 1, he says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So, what, what do we see here that we saw in chapter 3? That's right. Full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And He is leading Jesus into the wilderness. I don't know about you, but when I started in ministry many, many, many years ago, I didn't want to start in the wilderness. <laughs> I wanted to go start with a church with everything good, you know, and things like that. But where does God start Jesus in his ministry? He takes him out to the wilderness for 40 days without food. And it's funny, he says, and he was hungry. Why would he say, I mean, what, shouldn't that be a given? After 40 days, I mean, if I go 40 minutes without eating, I'm hungry. But I mean, 40 days without food. And he says he was hungry. Why does he say he was hungry? Exactly. To show his humanity. That Jesus was human. I mean, can you imagine what Jesus looked like after 40 days without food? I mean, I, I would imagine that he was wasting away. Does somebody want to say something over here? Okay, I thought I heard something. Um, but I mean, I can imagine what he looked like. It was, it, was, it was horrible. And so this is the setting that Satan comes to Jesus. What was the setting when Satan came to Adam and Eve? Paradise. It was paradise. Everything was perfect. All they had to do is just walk around gathering fruit and eating fruit. And it was, everything was perfect. They walked and talked with God. There was no barrier between them and God. It was perfect. And that was the setting that Satan came to Adam and Eve. Quite a difference, isn't it? But why did Jesus come? 
if we think about that, we know that Jesus came for the redemption of man, but how is that going to be accomplished? One word. Suffering. Isaiah 53. The whole chapter is called the suffering servant. It talks about how Jesus will come and He will suffer on our behalf. And we've seen in Romans, we're doing a study in Romans where uh, that we are to suffer with Him. And not only that, but the whole earth that was cursed as a result of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, the whole earth has been cursed and, and it is also longing for the redemption of man. Longing for it. And so we're all suffering. Even the earth itself is suffering as a result of the sin. And so as we go through this life suffering, we can imagine, we, actually we can't imagine what Jesus went through because his suffering is so much greater than what we're faced with you know, in our culture. But he's in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan comes to him and he was hungry. And Satan says, why don't you just turn that stone to bread? I mean, it's simple to say, you can do it. You're God. Turn the stone to bread. Take a shortcut. Take the easy way out. Why should you, why would God place you in this place like this? If you're really his son, if you are his son, there he is questioning the word of God, right? Because God said previously, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. But he said, if you are the son of God, why would, does he not love you? Why would he put you in this place like this? There it is. Just turn it into bread. It's as simple as that. What, what does Jesus say? Hmm? Man does not live by bread alone. So where does Jesus go when he's tempted by Satan here? He goes straight to Scripture. But what Scripture? It's yeah, Deuteronomy. That's right. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 8. As a matter of fact, all three temptations, when Jesus responds, He comes right out of Deuteronomy. Now what's going on in Deuteronomy in these, in these verses that when he, he quotes them? The Israelites are going through the wilderness themselves. That's right. And they're about to go into the promised land. Okay? So they have been through the wilderness for 40 years. Wandering. And so... Moses is, is giving this long speech and he's going over the law and all of these things and what they are to do when they go into the land. And one of the things that he says in chapter 8 when he says a man does not, does not live by bread alone, the title of this whole section in, in our Bible says, Remember God. Remember God when you go into the land. Remember that He allowed you to be hungry so that He could feed you with manna. But you have to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does that mean? I mean, we have to eat, right? We got to eat. Well, Jesus said, why do you worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat? You know, why do you worry about any of these things? I mean, even the Gentiles... You know, they, 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 they worry about, I mean, don't be like them, but God knows what you need before you even ask him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So when he says man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God, I believe what he's saying here is not to substitute eternal for the temporary. Do y'all get that? 
don't substitute eternal for the temporary. We're going to be hungry. You know, this body is going to waste away. Mine's wasting away more and more every day. And it's just, you know, when I tell the joke, when Christy and I got married, most of my body was up here. <laughs> now it's all down here. <laughs> so when they say your lowly bodies, I say my body's getting lower and lower every day. <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs> but he's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he's reminding them, don't worry about the temporary. We need to have an internal mindset because God knows what you need. But you focus on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And He'll provide your needs. So, let's look in the next verse. Verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority with and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Is that true? What's, what's false about that statement? It's God's authority. God's splendor. Okay. He would never give it to the devil. <laughs> well... Some people could go to John 12 and John 14 and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians 2 and, and say where they call Him the ruler of the world, uh, the God of this age, uh, the prince of power there. But you're absolutely right because He has no authority to give anything to anyone without God allowing it. I mean, we see what happened when He went to Job, Right? He couldn't do anything unless God allowed him to. And the funny thing about suffering, you know, when we talk about people like Job and people like Christ, Job's friends were like, you must have done something wrong or else God wouldn't let you suffer like this. And I'm sure that's what Satan's trying to get over to Jesus. You know, there's something wrong here. You shouldn't be suffering like this. You don't have to suffer. Let me give you a shortcut. But the reality is, Job suffered not because he did something wrong, but because he was righteous. So what God said, if you considered my servant Job, he was righteous, he was upright in God's eyes. And there is no one more righteous than Christ was. Yet he came to suffer. And so we ask the question, why is God putting me through such pain and torment? Why do I have to go through this? We have circumstances in all of our lives that are very difficult for us to handle. And we think sometimes, what are you doing to me, God? Why are you doing this to me? Is there a sin that I haven't repented of? Is there something that I did wrong? Why is this on me? That's not why He takes us through suffering. He's walking us in the footsteps of Christ. As difficult as it is. Satan, if you says, if you'll worship me, it will all be yours. You don't have to suffer. I'll give it to you. 
I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The reality is, Christ didn't come for the kingdoms of the world, did he? What did he come for? He came for the kingdom of heaven, right? Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Jesus also says that his kingdom is not of this world, so why would he want to trade what, his, what he never, what he's not coming for? That's exactly right. Yep. It goes back to that temporal versus eternal that you're talking about. Yep. Satan was offering the temporal. Yep. That's right. Yeah, that's a very good point. He's he's trying to get him to substitute eternal for temporary. And so, and I'm always when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm always trying to remind everyone and myself that we need to have an eternal mindset and not a temporary mindset. Our our minds can get get so easily focused on the here and now and our circumstances and what we're going through. But there's something so much greater than that. We keep our eyes on Christ. And while we go through these sufferings, these times of hardship, the Holy Spirit is there to encourage us, to help us take the next step, the next step. And I love when the Bible says that He illuminates my path, but He, he does it one step at a time. Don't you wish He would kind of show you the whole big picture out front? Sometimes I wish He would, but He doesn't. He shows you the next step. Yes, sir. The, the kingdoms of this world are his too. I mean, Psalm 2 says, I'll give yeah. you the nations. That's his inheritance, but it has to come from him doing what God sent him on earth to do. That's right. Like that's, a shortcut. That's right. That's exactly right. So, he says, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus replies in verse 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, but this time he's in chapter 6. What's Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first few verses? Does anybody know? The Shema. The Shema, okay. And do you have that pulled up? Can you pull that up and read it for me? Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, soul. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Thank you very much. That's the Shema. But then in chapter 6, verse 10 through 15, this is where, this is the context in which he's taking this, what Jesus quoted. He says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant 
And when you eat and are full, then take care. I mean, how easy is it when you eat and you're full and you got all this stuff going for you, how easy is it to slip into disobedience? He says, I lost my place. Hang on. <laughs> Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. You shall serve Him. And by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from the face of the earth. So basically is what he's saying. He said, look, when you get in here and you get all, all these cities that you did not build, houses that you did not build, plants that you did not plant, food that you did not store up, you better not get lazy and you better not forget the Lord and don't substitute the eternal for the temporary. That's what he's telling them. And look in verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, here he is questioning that again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So what is Satan doing here? He's offering him a shortcut to glory. Isn't he? Show that you are, show the world that you are the Son of God. Throw yourself off of here and the angels will come and rescue you. So the world can see that you are the Son of God. Do it. I mean, it's a shortcut. Why would you go through suffering when you can just do it this easily? And everybody will know that you are the Son of God. But Jesus answered, he says, it is written, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. In other words, by Jesus jumping off the, the or jumping off the temple, he's, he's testing to see whether God really would save him. But Jesus would never do that. And how often do we sometimes put ourselves in those positions to where we try to test God? God if I am really your child, then you'll do this for me. Or you'll deliver me from this circumstance. I've said that. I'm sure none of y'all have ever said anything like that, but I have. <laughs> but we, we're not to put the Lord our God to the test. We must trust Him in all things. No matter what our circumstances are. No matter what we may be going through. It doesn't matter how hard it seems that our life is right now. We always have to keep our eyes on God and trust Him implicitly. And we do that by knowing what His Word says. I mean, Jesus is the Word, according to John chapter 1. And if we want to know Christ, we have to know His Word. And that doesn't mean just kind of skimming over it, you know, in a little 15-minute time in the mornings or whatever. I'm talking about study the Word of God. Compare and contrast. <laughs> and that's, that's how you get to know the Word of God. And I'm talking about, those of you who have been in 
some of my classes, three most important things in interpreting Scripture. Yeah, that's right. Context, context, context. Read the Bible in its context. Do a background study on a, on a book that you're going to start studying. If you're going to do John or Ephesians or whatever it is, find out who it was written to, why it was written, who wrote it, all of these things. And ask yourself questions as you're going through it. Are there any references to any Old Testament passages? If there are, go back and read it. And don't just read the passage. Read the whole chapter. And, or, or even the whole book and find out what, what's going on. Because context is absolutely critical when you're studying Scripture. And so, Jesus responds to him and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And guess where he gets that, gets that out of? Out of Deuteronomy again. Yep. I find it interesting that the last test he actually used in Scripture out of context to attempt to Oh, yeah, absolutely. And do what? He, he missed the part where it says to protect you in always mm-hmm. because I feel like the in always includes this situation that he's going through right now. Yeah. And so then it, it, he would be going against itself directly. Yeah, that's right. Well, you think about how, how Satan manipulates Scripture. And that's why it's so important to, to study Scripture in context. Because it's easy to manipulate it to make it sound, to say exactly what you want it to say. I hear people doing it all the time. Um, Christy and I went to a funeral. Um, was it your grandmother, I believe? It was a. I don't mean to throw another denomination, <laughs> but it was a woman pastor, and she she the whole message was. Uh, Jesus came to show us a better way to live. And I was cringing. I was just, oh my gosh, how, how can you sit up there and say that? You know, I mean, because she said nothing about the resurrection power. I mean, the regenerative, you know, regenerative life. She said nothing about that. All she said was that Jesus came to show us a good way to live. And so when we were leaving, of course, I'm, my face is red. <laughs> And Christy's like, what's wrong? I said, that was blasphemy. You know, I just went off. <laughs> I'm sure that's hard for you to imagine that I would do something like that. But <laughs> Hello? So Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And basically, when he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, he says, God doesn't have to prove anything to us. He doesn't conform to our will. We conform to His. And so we trust Him in all things. So, verse 13 says, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so if we read on, I'm going to go ahead and read on um, a few more verses. Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Here it is again. Y'all see this? Okay, that's why it's so important to understand why the Holy Spirit came upon Christ. Because that's how God fulfills His mission here on earth in all men. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about Him went, through, went out through all the surrounding county, countries. And He taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. 
and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, there it is again. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And a woman was a widow to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Isaiah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard all these things in the synagogue, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to throw him off uh, to, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Y'all forgive me, I don't have my glasses, so it's very difficult for me to read this. But passing through their midst, he went away. I, I can imagine this was a scene. Can you, can you imagine that? I mean, all these people are so mad at Jesus because he dissed them. I mean, he pretty, he pretty much dissed them, didn't he? <laughs> and and they, they usher him out of town, take him to a cliff, and are going to throw him off a cliff, and he just walks through the crowd. But if we think about this in the context of what we've been studying with the temptations... Jesus could have taken the easy way out. Why did he have to stir this crowd up like this? I mean, if, if a minister says something to offend his congregation, I can imagine the elders are going, no, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. We want people to like us here, right? That wasn't his purpose. He didn't take the easy way out. But then if we continue to read again in verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for the word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, listen to this. The demon is declaring that Jesus himself is the Son of God, and Jesus rebukes him. Why? Wouldn't that have been easy? Just say, You hear what he's saying? It wasn't time. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Jesus would only stick with the will of his Father. That's all he had in his mind was to continue on 
the mission that God had given him. And that mission would include suffering. So, any questions? So, if you don't remember anything today, that's fine, but remember this. <laughs> don't substitute the eternal for the temporary. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that no matter how bad it may seem in, in our life at certain times, we know that You have a purpose in all things. And I pray, Father, that we don't trust in our circumstances, but we trust in Your hand. And we follow You. And we get to know You better by studying Your Word and getting to know Your Word and getting to know Jesus. And I pray this in His name. Amen.